Now, first off, I am the boss. I just wanted to get that across as we talk about the boss on Anatomy of Movie. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. All we do is win because we talk about movies. It's not a bad gig. Welcome, Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. I had to do that. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. You can follow me on Twitter at Serafini TV. That's right. And for those of you who are rejoining us, welcome back. For the first time, viewers, welcome. We dissect movies in depth. And uh, as you can imagine, it's very spoiler-filled. So if you haven't seen the movie, go see the movie. Then come back to us. Yes. Marissa Serafini, one of our senior content producers here, graphic artist, and uh, fellow filmmaker. Yes. Hello, everyone. Uh, the, the boss. Yes. And I love that intro of yours. You are the boss. <laughs> that's that's an <a> Eminem <laughs> like, quote from White shoot. Trash Party. <laughs> that's very true. I'm like, shoot, I can't argue that either. I, th- I thoroughly enjoyed this film. I kind of went into it. After, you know, we've had so many of the same movies now recently in the last recent years with Melissa McCarthy. And she's kind of playing the same role over and over again. Some people are, like, tired of it. I I actually thoroughly enjoy it because she's just so funny in every movie. And I kind of went into this one with kind of low expectations, but I walked out and was like, hey, that wasn't actually a bad movie. See, I had some problems with it, unfortunately. Unfortunately, and it, it's, it's kind of what the critics are saying. Uh, it's, obvi- it's based off of skit. You know, and she it's based off a character that she's done before and people saying it should have it was good as a skip, but as a long form. Eh. Mm, yeah. It's tough to have a movie when your main character is not necessarily likable. It's very tough. And I, and I, and I got that kind of throughout. Um, and it just, you know, I, I, I wanted something more of the movie and it just never hit in, in, the, in the full ways. I was rooting for it because it was a passion project of her and her husband's Ben, mm-hmm. but it just never fully came across that way. And what she's done with Paul Feig, I think, is way better than some of the stuff she's doing on her own. Yeah, I and I get that too because Paul Feig, he's he's good at storytelling as well, and he can write out a more fleshed out character. Granted, Michelle Darnell was based on a skit that she did at Groundlings. Yeah, it was good for maybe like ten minutes, however long that skit was. But to have a fully fleshed out after years, she kept considering this role and like thinking, who is this Michelle Darnell person? Is she good enough from the beginning to have a full movie on her own? Like just storyline, character-wise? You mean Michelle Darnell? Yeah, or Michelle. Mo- okay, because I was going to say, Melissa, like, of course, she's of course, very like, capable Melissa, of Melissa handling a movie. great herself. But the character herself, Michelle... Was, is she good enough just from the beginning to have a more fleshed out story? And think about it. Think about it this way too. I mean, uh, it, it's just one of those things. You know, Groundlings like that. That was at this point uh, a long time ago for Melissa, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the things that you're hinging on this are, are you know, she, Melissa's known for her physical comedy, uh, and that's all well and good. But but the comedy that she does as Michelle Darnell is very. It's cliche at this point, right? Falling downstairs. It's slapstick, yeah. It, but there's nothing. There's. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with slapstick, but a bed falling, you know, and 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 folding back up into the wall, and this and that. We we've seen that multiple times, like ha- ha- numerous times, and and so I feel like if you're gonna go that route, just do something different, you know. We'll talk about the fight scene, yeah. And as 
kind of weird and controversial as it may be, at least it's something new. Right. That's what I'll say. I was just trying to think, you're saying something different. I'm trying to think what other different things that we could have seen in a slapstick-esque way that we haven't already with all but, these movies and television shows out. But there. that's that's what I'm saying. That's the, that's the true that's the true artistry, right? I mean, there's nothing be original. Cl- cl- clichés work. Clichés literally mean something that that just works. And so it obviously works, but the problem is that we've just seen it so m- numerous times that it becomes the 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 law of diminishing returns. And so because we have seen it and we've seen it from her specifically, it loses its meaning and its weight. I mean, so I, g- I get that. that I get that point. Also, I mean, from Melissa and the character Michelle, it's funny, yes, is a cliche, probably, but I liked how this particular gag actually pays off again in the end. And I think that that was the funny thing that we got with the horrible Rachel, and she got her comeuppance with being thrown from the same mattress through the window. Not Rachel, Helen. Helen, Helen, that's it. Rachel's the daughter. Names, sorry. Rachel did not get her comeuppance. Helen. Uh, when she got thrown out, I think that's what set up this gag and actually had to pay off. Yeah, but it, it just felt very much like a throwaway. Okay. You know, and because and, ultimately, I mean, as, as as deplorable as Helen was, was she... Re- again, Helen was what, horrible. Was she that horrible? I didn't beg to disagree. No, it's actually kind of funny. It's Helen and Michelle, they're both horrible people in general. And when you pit them against each other on screen, I was actually having a hard time figuring out who's worse. Okay. But that's what makes it fun. I was like, who's really the more worse person that we should be disliking right now? But that's not necessarily a good trait to have with your main character. Like, if it was two secondary characters that you were trying to figure out, that's all well and good. But but it shouldn't necessarily be happening with your main character. Yeah. But let's take a step back. Let's, Let's start at the beginning. As we mentioned... It's a character from Groundlings back in the day, and um, Melissa McCarthy has has been with her uh, Ben Falcone for mm-hmm, quite ben some time, uh, writing partners for 16 years. Um, so much so that our own uh, uh, creator Kevin Undergaro, Melissa McCarthy, could have been in um, in Adventures of Serial Buddies. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, she wanted to fly Ben to the set of Serial Buddies, and our own Maria Menounos. Did not want to. Ah. His words, not mine. Check out the Tomorrow Show for the full quote because he talks. He actually talks. Shoot, about really? So uh, missed opportunities, man. That's right. Darn. Uh, so anyway, that's a kind of. I a feel like side I kind of know history. her, Melissa, because we're both from Illinois. I used. To, she grew up in Plainfield. I grew up about 40, 45 minutes away, and I drove through Plainfield all the time. I was like, yeah, I know this area. I do. Yeah. So I kind of have like that relationship with her. Well, you know, uh, so in terms of this movie, right? So as we mentioned, uh, Michelle was the Groundlings kind of skit character. Um, the the two, Ben and Melissa wrote it along with um, Steve Ma- Mallory. He's also from the Groundlings as mm-hmm. well. And you know, it, it's interesting because this is it's not necessarily a follow up to tammy in any way shape or form but but it has similarities in the sense that both are kind of grounded with uh, frustrations and and they have bosses and dead-end jobs now this you know the dead-end job more refers to Kristen bell's character mm-hmm. rather than uh, michelle boss. yeah michelle's but um but so it is um i i like this and i liked this partnership granted i actually haven't seen tammy 
Um, I remember the previews and looked funny. Um, I wasn't inclined to go see it, and I still haven't. But after seeing The Boss, I might actually go back and watch Tammy because we know that was their first actual directing actor relationship that they had in film, and then this is their second. And I, it's like it's always good to work with someone that you're so well established in career wise, and you just know how you work the workflow of each other. And I, I definitely saw a partnership watching the film and didn't see like any hiccups or anywhere or like any disconnect with the characters or the story. I agree, but you know, when, when we get into editing, I'll kind of get into more of like you, 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 it, it especially when they're husband and wife, they got to protect each other both a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that means making a harsh call in terms of let's cut this, let's do this. But let's, before we fully get into that, let's get into the story of everything. Yes. Um, and a lot of comparisons, ironically, have been made to Trump because the boss, Michelle Darnell, kind of fits in perfectly into this Trump era uh, of a world that we live in, especially leading up to the presidential debate. So much so that, uh, as Michelle says, the first rule of business, pretend to negotiate, then take what you want. Oh, my goodness. And this is so funny you bring this up because... I went into this film watching it. I was like, I just saw a mogul who was down on her luck. She she did something wrong and she paid for the crime. And I didn't really think about Trump <laughs> and that comparison while watching her character, which is probably really bad on my part that I didn't put two and two together. But I kind of like that she was so different in a way from Trump that I didn't think about that. Well, the more obvious comparison is, is Martha Stewart. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking, you know. She, she was big, and you know, I mean, she still is big, and then she had a house arrest, and then I even loved there was a reference, like, Martha Stewart got, like, X, Y, and Z perks while she was, you know, a uh, house arrest. And I thought more of Martha Stewart than did Trump. Yeah, I mean, and again, part of it's easier, um, you know, as you said, the arrest, The uh, they're both females, they kind of, um, in that way, so I, I, I could... It's easier to make the comparison to a Martha Stewart. Um, but one of the things that uh, that made it very difficult as a movie, th- there was that question, right? They tried to set it up in the sense that at the orphanage, she kept being given back. And you were left wondering, okay, is it wh- – what is it? Is it the chicken and the egg? Was she always this mean? Mm-hmm. And that's why people kept bringing her back? Or did she become mean because people kept bringing her back? And if she was a good person – what was the flaw that people decided to bring her back to the orphanage? I know. That was my problem, too, watching this. I couldn't understand, like, where this was in her character development uh, for exactly the points you were saying. Because I think the only thing I got out of all those times keeping going back to the foster home was that she didn't have a good relationship with family. And that's where I realized, okay, that's going to be an overlying theme throughout this whole thing she doesn't connect to people relationships and family she doesn't have people closer so that's where she always had to look out for herself above everyone else exactly but um but i just wanted to know did she have i guess the real question did she have that goodness within her to begin with or not at all I think yes, because when we see the you know the first two younger versions of Michelle, she seems Which is sweet. one of them is her daughter. Yes, the the seven year old was actually played by Melissa's real daughter. Um, the younger versions of Michelle, she seems sweet and innocent, and you can understand that. Hey, this kid has you know hope. She started off good, so 
at the end of it, you still realize, hey, she came, technically she came from a good place. So hopefully she can go back to that in the end. I think, you know, I, I agree with you. It just felt a little bit lost, um, unfortunately. But, um, but you, you, you know, the nice part is, again, the, my, I'm overanalyzing it. For, I'm sure for most audiences, they knew it right away. And I did, too, of like, okay, this is going to be the arc. You know, she's, mm-hmm. as she says in the beginning, families for suckers. And you always knew, okay, that's, that's the crux of this movie. We're going to change that philosophy. Yeah. And she doesn't have family, so she's also just very jaded. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Um, so let's, let's kind of talk about um, her and Kristen Bell. They're, they're the crux of this movie. And, and right, so family, she, she kind of, this is how she forms a family through Kristen Bell and with this family. And that's where she finds meaning. And so obviously if this relationship doesn't work. She's then, out. <laughs> yeah. No one wants to be with her. Um, I like this because it's good to see someone who had a well-established career and then lose it. And then someone who really didn't have a, I mean, she, she kind of had a good professional career and then kind of lost it too. Um, but I liked how they were on per- personalities, different aspects and end of the spectrums there. So that was like just a nice kind of clash opposites in a way um collide in that way i love kristen bell you know this <laughs> i love her she's amazing I, th- I thought she did you know a lot of times we see kristen in, in a supporting role or in the lead role and i thought she you, you, f- this felt like a first to me and i can't say with 100 percent certainty but but her playing the straight man i thought she did good in this movie and and um I, I, it showed a different side to her than we're normally used to yeah i, I mean I think it was also great, just her character, Kristen Bell's character, is that she was the epitome of a family. She had a mother. She was a mother, and she had to look out for her daughter. That that whole family aspect that Michelle so clearly was lacking. And I liked how they, you know, all the times that they were on screen together, they were just kind of rubbing off on each other a little <laughs> bit. In uh, a good way. And sometimes literally. <laughs> literally. <laughs> and then a little juggling here and there. <laughs> well that that was uh quite mm-hmm. interesting yep <laughs> you know and i have to say like that that's what kind of also one of the things that was again you kind of have to i, I don't know what it is that sometimes it works with comedy and sometimes there's just too large a gaping hole where where you're still kind of asking too many questions as the movies go along so as she's giving her men advice, it's like, I, I never really understood, like, you know, Michelle Darnell being that great with guys. With the exception of Peter Dinklage's character, Renault, <laughs> I don't see her having a, a, a that great of a history with men. No, I don't believe it, too. But you got to remember the guys that were actually in her life. The You had Renault, and then you had her crazy, weird assistant who, for some reason, was pretty much, like, fangirling all over her. I think he was literally just being paid for that because you saw as soon as she went to jail, he was like, oh, yeah, I'm out. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. The, she didn't have a strong relationship. And I think that just goes with the character development. She just didn't have any good relationship with anybody i agree and so but that's where it became where just hearing her advice again because it made sense right the whole like your boobs are droopy what the hell kind of sweater is this is good advice 
true. But I just also but don't believe you. But it goes down you. to the bra as well. <laughs> it's uh, like Geppetto. That was hysterical. And I, and I did love this because uh, there was obviously a lot of improv from Melissa's part. But I felt like this bra slash sweater joke went on for a good solid two minutes. And it was just one of the... It, I don't want to say Apatow, but it was, they totally Apatow at this moment, where we know that there's just one joke that just keep going for five minutes. I'm like, okay, I get it. It's funny. Now stop. <laughs> and then, the, so, okay, so that that becomes the problem that I was talking about. You got to be, you know, when, when you're Ben, you're directing this movie, you got to have the wherewithal to say, okay, yes, she's my wife, and while this may be funny to us, cut it. Just mm-hmm. a little, right? Because a lot of people are saying the pay, you know, the pacing is a little bit off, and that that is a reflection of the story um, and the editing. But especially the thing, like you know, ultimately a movie's made in editing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in that sense, like you can you can write all you want, you can shoot all of it, you can shoot three hundred pages for all I care, right? Which equates to you know, in theory, three hundred minutes. But in editing, you got to be you know that's where you get to read. It's, it's a whole recreating of the story. I agree. And, they just, yeah, I agree. They should have just, like, that moment is a good example of just cut it a little bit shorter. Because ultimately, what did it get us? Like, we know that... Uh, she changed her outfit. That's she, what we got. She changed her outfit. She liked, you know what I mean? She she was going on a date with the guy. Like, it didn't necessarily propel story forward. Yeah. So. Um, also, like, that was a funny joke. But even at the very beginning, there was another epitaph moment where the whole... She had the mouth guard for the whitening. And then it's, like, her and the assistant just going back and forth for another solid three minutes. I'm like, okay, it's funny. We get it. Yeah. And that's where editing also should have come into play. But that's, ironically, this is where, I'll, I'll disagree with you on that moment, only because it comes so early. And what that scene, at least at the very least, did was it painted very clearly the picture of how insane uh, the, the world for Claire is. That she has no support from these people, and she just has to go along with the madness. And any anything but is, is going to set her up in, in in the wrong ways. She's you know she's going to be looked upon differently and, and and criticized. Yeah, I get it. I I just it was funny to physically, and we got that physical comedy with an actual mouth guard, um, and her mouth just like wide open, which was weird. But it was just amazing how long that joke went for. <laughs> it was. It was pretty big. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about the story was it. I, I, it was rated R this movie, but I felt like it didn't. Number one, it didn't need to, and I felt that number two, it hurt it. And I, I get it's an off stem. Uh, there's so many rated R comedies for men now, right? Mm-hmm. And they're raunchy and they're funny and this and that. And they're most of them are now at this point breaking records. Um, you could look at Daredevil as a superhero movie, or you could look at it as a comedic movie as well. And again, there's there's many more. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like they were trying to prove something with this that that a female comedy rated R could also be funny and this and that. But I felt that was perhaps the wrong goal. It didn't need to be R at all. Take out some cussing, and you got a PG thirteen movie that. Might have played better. I agree. I mean, there was some violence, but it was obviously over-the-top kind of violence that was supposed to be funny. It wasn't like slitting people's throats or anything, which that would ensure a rated R rating. But I I agree that the cursing could have easily been taken out, especially with kids, and that is sensitive. 
Um, but yeah, it didn't need to be rated R. And I think that could have opened up a whole nother younger demographic because we do have young kids in this film. Yeah. And it, if you take out the cursing, you could have the young kids come to this film. Although I will say one of the funny things for me, I love when movies and Horrible Bosses 2 did this in a fantastic way when they show kind of their plan, what their plan in their own minds is going to be. And then we kind of get the reality of it. So when uh, when Claire's now boyfriend is, is, you know, taking care of the guard and he just looks like, wait, why am I sucking his dick? <laughs> yeah. I thought that, again, I, I, I doubt that would have been. Um, so there was one dick joke in this film <laughs> over and over and over again. And I think another film that if for some reason this joke reminded me of uh, Were the Millers. Uh, yeah. And how there, there was always, you know, um, the sucking that guard stick for just to pay him off to get across the country um it, it went on that line that that joke again a long-winded joke but still funny take that joke out maybe it would have been pg-13 <laughs> maybe 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 but um again I just, I just felt like it it just it didn't need to be so it didn't need to be r and i thought it would have been i thought it would have been perfectly fine as a pg-13 it would have gotten everything across yeah um but let's talk about let's talk about Rachel. Let's talk about kind of the Girl Scouts and what what spawns from all of this that eventually culminates into a street fight, literally. Um, kind of amazing. <laughs> um, just to watch that, pretty funny. Uh, I I liked it's, and I think it's just good timing of the year because you know Girl Scouts just had the cookies and they're amazing. They're so ridiculously bad for you. Um, I liked how they timed it up with that and uh, to bring something as simple but yet competitive as brownies and Girl Scout cookies and selling. You take that small idea and you like blow it up. Brilliant. Brilliant. That's an empire in and of itself. And I think that's why Michelle was a mogul. She has those creative ideas to be seriously successful and that's why she was on top. I agree. I agree. I thought I thought it was very well done, but again, the, the, I, you know, it's been criticized in this way. The, the problem is, is she she gives uh, she gives Claire all the altruistic reasons of why this is good, but at the end of the day, we know that Claire didn't have fifty percent of the company because the, the contract got botched. Yep, and she, you know, it was it was she wasn't really looking out for Claire either. It was more so just to get herself back on top. That's all it was. And, and as much as, like, they were giving back to the kids, originally, originally Michelle wanted to give them 5% instead of 10%. You know, it was never – it never really came from the right place. It was just kind of words to spark this action. Yeah. But I liked how this idea motivated Michelle to – I mean, she she lost it all. And granted, that was on her part. But – this small idea gave her the like reasons and motivation to like keep going with life and start anew something as fun as brownies, but also it had a somewhat family element to it that kind of like softened her. Yeah, well, the brownies were family. Yes, it was a secret recipe. I was waiting for the weed to be in there at some point, <laughs> but that never came. No, but they did did send those uh, sell those brownies outside of the weed shop, which was funny. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yep, getting case of the munchies. Yes, indeed. Um, so let's talk about kind of everyone's performances overall. 
so we've we've spoken a little bit about Melissa um, in the various ways that she's you know she's a producer on this movie, she's a writer, and obviously she's the star. But I you know let's compare even just a few years ago at for the Heat, right? A very good and successful movie, very funny movie. Yeah, she made two point five million dollars on that movie. Let's cut to now. Just two point five, you guys. Just two point five. <laughs> okay, but. But look at, you know, I mean, think of what a guy would make for a comedy like that. So much more. Just rest sad. Um, but now, Ghostbusters, she made $14 million, which is set to come out a little bit later this year. So just in the in, in that small amount of window, look, yeah, and I get it. Uh, the Heat wasn't a franchise movie necessarily. Ghostbusters is. Mm-hmm. So there's that little bit of difference. But that's a huge increase just in the in the few short years. I agree, and um, good for Melissa for you know stepping up so fast in in that way and moving up the ranks. Uh, I think that's just the power of her and all of her films that have come out since the Heat, because yeah, these characters that she's playing are like the same raunchy, over the top, foul mouth, but slapstick funny. Are people tired of it? Maybe, but it works for her. And it's made her successful. She went from 2.5 to 14 million. It works. So, you know what? Keep doing it, girl. Keep doing it. Fair enough. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, Michelle was actually also based on uh, the character of Leona Helmsley. Yes, which I find interesting. Another over-the-top flamboyant... (laughs) I don't want to say mogul, but, like, she, she was in the public eye for that and really had a well-established personality <laughs> absolutely and the, and the way mccarthy describes michelle michelle's completely unapologetic for her attributes i i agree man and i liked how melissa like had that realization because then you know you open that up and just go anywhere with the character yeah that's the you know it's it, you gotta be right no even if she was like necessarily a bad guy right is Everyone thinks they're good. You mm-hmm. know, Renault thought he was good and doing justice and this and that. Yeah. So, But I, I like that, to be unapologetic, because if you are apologetic, in ways you have reservations and restraints that can hold back someone. But if you are unapologetic, I don't mean to sound in a bad way, but like you can be a little bit more out there to the point where if you actually met people like this in real life, you're like, no. Donald but, Trump. Yes. But it's actually, it's more fun to watch out of this world characters because they're just so unrealistic. It's fun to watch. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Um, let's talk about Renault, right? Here's, here's Peter, Peter Dinklage. Dinklage. Uh, you know, he's, he's taking on some more roles. Obviously, Game of Thrones is the biggest. Um, the other one that I can think of that, for me, made an impact was X-Men Days of Future Past. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I brought in a quote that I thought was kind of good because, you know, you think about his height and whatever else and you kind of wonder, like, how, how does he deal with it, right? And especially now he's kind of in these comedy roles and he's getting these comedy roles because of his height, right? So he says, when I was younger, definitely I let it get to me. As an adolescent, I was bitter and angry and I definitely put up these walls. But the older you get, you realize you just have to have a sense of humor. You know that it's not your problem. It's theirs. And that's so great. And and I think, you know, that just shows someone who's really comfortable with his, you know, in his skin. And he realizes the industry that he's in. It is a superficial industry, as terrible as that sounds. But 
It is. And I, I like that he's just so true to himself. He doesn't let it get to him. And he can do any freaking role that he wants. And he's awesome at everything he does. Everything. He is. He was very great in this movie. I will admit that. Yeah. And his, and I just got to say, not to get into like the marketing and stuff, but all the promos and stuff, I didn't realize Peter Dinklage was in this film until I actually saw him on screen. Really? There was really like no, for me personally, maybe I just missed it, that I didn't see any promotion of him because it was always Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Bell. Granted, they're very big names, so is Peter, but I did not know he was in this. Well, I think marketing-wise, we'll, we'll get into it fully, but it's much easier to market a story about you know, someone who just goes broke and will find out the reason later and that their only person to go to is the assistant that she had. Mm-hmm. You know, and then to throw in Peter Dinklage's character, it's like, wait, who's this? You yeah. know, where does he fit? You know, it, with a trailer, you don't want to open up too many questions. You want to just give the, what is the basis of the story? Yeah. So. I love Peter Dinklage's voice. Just like, <laughs> he's such gravitas and seriousness behind his voice. Like, you just listen to him. You're like, yep, yep, he's saying something. You better listen. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, he was. Sometimes he was saying good stuff. Other times he was saying the sex is great. <laughs> Very true. Um, I did enjoy this character because, as weird and over the top he is, he treated everything with just a weird style of grace. Even if something as simple as getting his hands on the brownies and cutting it like caviar, just he was very. I don't, I don't know exactly how to say it, but he was over the top. In that way, which is still really funny to see for him. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Now, uh, so kind of backtracking real fast to Kristen Bell. Um, this is something that you pulled, but the, the fact that she saw the script and, you know, Kristen knew they were looking for someone like her. Um, do you want to finish it off? I don't yeah. want to steal your work <laughs> no, from you. It's fine. Uh, Kristen said uh, she had secretly always dreamed of working with Melissa and Ben because her husband, Dax Shepard, actually knew them for about like 20 years. And they grew up in comedy together. And she continues, they were in the Groundlings performing at weird black box theaters. And I was always very jealous of that. And I would always say to him, I want to work with Ben and Melissa. So I auditioned one night in their, at their office and got a call the very next day. And then, of course, she got, you know. The job. Yeah, casted, which I think is great because to have someone like Kristen Bell who can also be like raunchy, and she's had her raunchy roles too. I mean, hello, forgetting Sarah Marshall. Um, But it's fun to have her playing a nurturing mother character as a foil to the boss who is so not that. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Now, Kathy Bates, a lot of critics have described Kathy's Kathy's role in this is very underutilized i completely agree this is actually one of those instances that i felt like there was actually a little bit more and unfortunately it just had to get cut uh so but basically you know she's in the news and then they have their moment in the barn and that's about it that's it and i felt like there was some Tension between those characters for, I think it was just, you know, mentor to student type of... Well, the the, the the student screwed over the mentor. Exactly. But it never had that... Part of it was it, when they finally met up, it never had that full weight. I, I agree, because even though that small establishment between those two, it was kind of, in a way, I don't want to say fully resolved, but it wasn't fleshed out because 
the cat, you know, Ida easily agrees, like, yeah, I'll back you up. Yeah. Like, we, we, us moguls gotta look out for each other. I'm like, okay, so is your beef with each other over then? It sounded like that way. And we so. didn't, and we didn't see her ever for the rest of, like, where does she, like, what stakes does she have in this company now? You know, I kind of wanted to well, see she that. she needed to make money, you know, it's, it's like Shark Tank, it's an investment, <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, it never, never panned out in well, that way. Like For like, that reason, I am out. <laughs> Fair enough. But, uh, you know, one of the reasons Kathy Bates was in the movie was because they've collaborated numerous times, uh, obviously in Tammy and on Mike and Molly. Yeah, and I think Kathy Bates is just fantastic. So, you know, throw her name in there. Sure, I'll go see it for her, too. I mean, Kathy Bates, at this point, you can consider her a living legend. Legend. (laughs) She really is. Because she is. You know, I, I loved her white wig, though. <laughs> Still fun to watch. It was like I could easily tell that was wig, but I was like, all right, cool. I like this personality and persona that you're showing us right now. Absolutely. Now, okay, so Rachel. I thought this girl did a fantastic job, and this is, this is someone that I feel like we're going to see for some time. She's already been in Unfinished Business, Giant Mechanical Man, and she's got uh, – she's, I don't know how big her role is going to be in the upcoming Mother's Day, mm. but she's – going to be in that too well good for her i mean mother's day she's working with big a-list actors jennifer there. aniston yeah. kate hudson so many big names in that film so I, I think she's on the up and up good for her i really liked ella as the the kind daughter that was just stuck in between all this um that's always fun to watch and even Kristen bell said that uh ella herself she enjoyed working with her because as young as she is, apparently she has a old soul. So she was it was very mature between them when they were filming. She was like, Ella, it's great. She's like an adult on set. <laughs> like, That's great. awesome. Good yeah. for her. And she she did she did great. I think this this is the role um, that in spite of the movie, whatever people are saying, it's you know, this is something that she has for her real and and, and she can show people of like because again, in the other ones I can't like in an unfinished business, she didn't have that big a role. Not at least to me, not memorable. Um, I didn't see Giant Mechanical Man, and Mother's Day obviously hasn't come out. And I, I doubt she'll have as big a role as she did in this movie. But the fact, you know, again, to me in this movie, she was really, really memorable. I, I completely agree. So I'm, I'm excited to, I'm excited for the future for her. Um, and then we have a couple of other characters. Uh, Sandy, I thought she did great. Uh, we we've primarily seen and we've primarily heard uh, Kristen Shaw as you know she's been in Bob's Burgers, Toy Story Three, Despicable Two, and BoJack Horseman. She's in she plays so many great comedic roles. You know, like she was in Thirty Rock and Parks and Rec and whatnot. It's like she's so endearingly awkwardly funny. It's cute every single time you see her. Um, she was uh, yeah the Toy Story character. She played the dinosaur who was always uh, on the internet. <laughs> I love that. Um, she's such a fun character to watch, or, or just a fun person to watch in general for all of her roles. And granted, she, she plays the same person every single time. I can't really see her in a dramatic role because it'd be awkward to see her in a dramatic huh. role. But funny. And I liked how she, as sweet as she was, she was, she was too nice to get caught in between Helen and uh, Michelle. Well, eventually she sides with Michelle. I like that, though. I was like, all right, yeah, good on you. Hmm. And then, of course, we have Ben, who takes the role of Marty, the lawyer. Uh, they've obviously often collaborated. 
you know, on, on numerous movies. But uh, so speaking of that, I wanted to there, there's a quote by him that I wanted to share. Um, We're not far removed from having to take any job that we can find to get a job because you want to be working. Someone sends you a script for the scra- craziest idea ever. It could be about like the abominable snow woman. And you'd be like, I don't know, maybe we should consider it. <laughs> um, keep working. It, it, because it worked for them and Tammy. It worked for them and the boss. Just keep working together. Sure. And you never know about this industry. Just, like, take whatever you can get. Well, I mean, a lot of people obviously cite bridesmaids as the role that oh, I blew up Melissa McCarthy. Melissa McCarthy's been working for many years she before was in that. seven seasons of Gilmore Girls before Bridesmaids ever blew up. So it just goes to show, like, and, and same thing happened with uh, um, The Hangovers. Um, um, what's his name? I'm blanking on it now. The Wolfpack guy. We're a Wolfpack. Oh, I was yeah. a Wolfpack. <laughs> Zach Galifianakis? That's it, there Mark Donica. Thank you, Thank Mark. you, Mark Donica. You know, I mean, he had a 10-year career before The Hangover really hit. And then it just kind of, so you could see, like, when you have that history, you very much don't, you know, you're like, well, things are good now, but they could end at any moment, so you want to continue it. And so, um, yeah. Yeah. A phenomenal snow woman. Why not? Sure. So you just ride that train. Uh, so speak, also speaking of Ben, he is his hair director. This is his sophomore direct, uh, directorial feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tammy was the first, as we mentioned. And... Uh, the the vibe on set was joyful, as he says, um, or not. Kristen Bell says of him, the vibe on set was joyful. He's the most patient, lovely director. He generally wants the scene to be great, and he generally wants everyone to feel good doing it. It's a good feeling. Yeah, I like that. And you know, when I'm watching it, you can just tell they were all just having so much fun. And apparently, in interviews, apparently Ben is one of those directors who will literally laugh at everything while filming, and he will unintentionally ruined takes because he's laughing so hard and uh so obviously they all had fun and even uh he said his favorite scene to direct of this film was the scene where michelle was apologizing to claire and her daughter because he liked it because that was like a turning point for michelle and just character growth too so from a director he liked a character growth moment yeah and one, one of the one of the things i thought that did actually come across in this movie when you have someone like ben who is an actor himself it's always beneficial to have someone that can really work with actors and really relate to actors and know so i thought again i I think that the performances that he got out of this movie were spectacular i just don't i again I, i think the problem was he didn't sculpt them in the edit room in the right ways um, and we'll talk about that. But um, one of the things I, I should have brought this up when we were talking about Peter Dinklage, um, but I'm going to bring it up now. Um, there's a so this is uh, I'm going to give you guys a quick little plug for a show on the CW network that uh, that I think is worth checking out. Um, you guys know our sister network, AfterBuzz TV. There's all kinds of TV discussion. We'll actually be doing containment, um, but here's what containment is. Well, first off. It premieres Tuesday, April 19th on The CW, um, and as the title might imply, containment is about a virus, right? So it's coming, it's out there, and there is no cure. It's the greatest enemy. It comes from within. Um, it is from the creator of The Vampire Diaries, Julie Pleck, and award 
Emmy Award-winning director of Game of Thrones, uh, comes this riveting and outbreak thriller containment, right? Uh, when a mysterious and deadly epidemic breaks out in Atlanta, ironically where this movie was shot, <laughs> a massive urban um, quarantine is quickly enforced. Uh, loved ones are torn apart. Uh, speak about family, right? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Imagine how they'll have to deal with that. And uh, those on both sides of the fence will be put to the ultimate test of survival. Not just fighting the disease, but fear, isolation, and the unknown. Uh, it is the, But is this the virus of Mother Nature, terrorism, and something far more sinister? That we'll have to find out. That, um, the truth, it cannot be contained. Secrets begin to unravel. Society begins to crumble. But unlike hero, but unlikely heroes will rise. Ordinary people will defy the most extraordinary odds, as oftentimes that they do in stories like this. That's why we watch these um, stories unfold. Don't miss the utterly terrifying yet highly anticipated new series, CW's Containment. Uh, it is the must-see limited series event that premieres this coming Tuesday, April nineteenth. Catch it. Only on the CW. Um, I highly recommend it. And check out AfterBuzz TV for the after show as well. Um, it'll be fantastic. And, and the hosts of that after show are very excited to begin talking about yeah, it. Yeah, it looks like an awesome show. You guys, check out the trailer. And it it's like high production, great story, riveting drama. It reminds me of Contagion, the film, just, you know, just out the trailer. And that was a great film that blew up and everyone was talking about that. So, yeah, go watch the containment. That's right. Check it out. All right. Uh, as I mentioned during the live read, um, this this whole thing was shot in Atlanta, Atlanta. for tax breaks. <laughs> there you go. So why not? Uh, uh, but uh, well, you found quite an interesting bit about the actual fight scene and how that was done. So I wanted you to share it with our audience. Yeah, it's funny. Um, Melissa, you know, writing, help formulating the script and one. She actually ha- had the idea of. If a street fight between adults and kids over the top would be really, really fun. And um, so, and they're like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And uh, so while they were filming and whatnot, that street fight between adults, kids throwing each other. And they liked the fact that it was adults first kids because usually they wanted adults first adults and then the kids versus the kids. But it'd be more funny if it was adults first kids fighting equally in both ways. And so while they were filming it, they said uh, every move was choreographed carefully. Every kid was given clear instructions, and stunt people were ready to step in if necessary. The hardest part, according to Ben, the director, was getting McCarthy to stop apologizing to the chi- to the children um, for m- cursing. And Melissa never c- curses in real life. She's more of an oh fudge kind of person, <laughs> which is really funny because if you you know watch all these films that she's done, it that's hard to believe. But if you listen to all of her interviews, it's actually easy to believe. She seems like the sweetest person. Very sweet indeed. And Julio Macat was the cinematographer of the movie. Uh, this guy has quite a bit of history, you know. Um, I don't think I, I, fortunately, have never heard of him before. Um, so I don't think he's getting the recognition that he deserves. But he's done Home Alone, Ace Venture, Wedding Crashers, one of your favorites, Pitch Perfect, Love It, Horrible Bosses too. I mean, th- this guy and and many others. This this guy's hand in comedy as as a cinematographer. I mean, these are movies that people would dream of doing. Yeah, and if you think about it, like, all of those films have at least one or two scenes where crazy, out-of-this-world type of physical 
action type of scenes. <laughs> think of Home classic. Alone. Yeah, I mean, think of Pitch Perfect and Horrible, bo- horrible Bosses. There's always like one or two scenes where they're, they're just going crazy and like, how the heck did they film that? <laughs> Absolutely. And one of the one of the nice things that I I do like about him, um, because we hear at Popcorn, right, that the whole kind of inception of Anatomy of a Movie was to kind of teach and give back to you guys and, and talk, talk about film, but also doing it in an educational way. Well, he teaches seminars on lighting to many film schools around the country. Um, and he was awarded the 2013 Kodak Mentorship Award. Wow. So I think that's awesome. Yeah, good for him. And lighting is fantastic. If you light a scene properly, you can emote all the proper emotions that you should be feeling. And if it looks pretty, good on you. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, a lot of times in, in comedies especially, the, the cinematography doesn't get necessarily touted in, in the ways it deserves. But because it's, you know... When something looks dramatic, right, like let's say an old film noir, it's much easier to tell, like, oh, there's work that went into the lighting. Well, the same amount of work still goes into this. Um, it's just that's not the focus of the movie. The focus of the movie is the comedy and the, and the people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, but, so we could learn a lot from him. <laughs> absolutely. And then we get to editing. And the editing. So Craig Alpert is the editor. Uh, he's he's done comedy for a bit. Like, ironically, when he was rising up through the ranks as an assistant editor, he did a lot of movies that were more serious. Whether it be he did the last two of the Matrix uh, movies, he's done thing, things of that nature. And now, as an editor, he's actually done a lot more comedy. Uh, Borat, The Sitter with Jonah Hill, Knocked Up, Pineapple Express, Funny People, Your Highness, which I thought was good. Some Your Highness didn't. was actually a really funny film. I love that one. Uh, right Along and pitch perfect too yep so we're seeing a theme here i like it good for him i mean and those are individually i haven't seen all of those films but individually those are all memorable films too so that's a that's a good you know repertoire of his absolutely but again i don't think so i in terms of what i blame on this movie and what critics are blaming on this movie it's the editing but I wouldn't necessarily say that it's his fault in that way. Um, here's what kind of uh, is written about the film in general. It almost feels overproduced, as if it has been polished and chopped and played with in all the wrong ways. The producing, the producers losing sight of whatever they were originally doing. All the ingredients are there. They've just combined them in, the, in a really odd way. Interesting. So we kind of, we, we spoke about the, the various instances, like the scenes would drag on too long. and things. Like, I literally think... This movie, this movie comes in in about ninety nine minutes. I think it could have been ninety at most. Mm-hmm. Trim it, and you'll get more. Yeah, and I mean, it's not, I haven't edited a comedy, so I can't really speak to that. But I think sometimes there are some jokes that can one line and it hits, and but a million lines and then it hits. And I think that it's sometimes it's hard to edit for comedy because you don't know how fast it will hit with an audience. For a joke to come across. So, and is that a testament to the improv that was tried to be kept throughout this film just for one joke? I don't know. Yeah, but, you know, with all the movies that we've ever done here, for the most part, everyone agrees that uh, that you never just include a joke for the joke's sake. It has to... It has to be for the story. It has to, uh, at the very least, it has to come from the character. And I agree that uh, the whole Geppetto bit and things like that, like that comes from the character. But I think at, at the end of the day, it, it suffers um, 
it's more for the joke, not necessarily for the story. Yeah, I agree. So. I, I absolutely agree. Um, now, our good friend Christoph Lennertz did the music for this, and uh, we actually did a fantastic interview with him at this point about two years ago. Yeah. Um, when when he was promoting Horrible Bosses too, so I encourage you to check out that interview. Just literally type in his name, Christoph Leonard's, and uh, Anatomy of a Movie, all, and you'll you'll get it. But uh, he's this guy cranks out score after score after score. Uh, I'm excited to see he's doing the new Baywatch movie, so I'm excited <laughs> to see that for I'm numerous sure you reasons. Are just for Chris, Christopher Leonard's. <laughs> Um, well, not just for him. <laughs> yep, yep, I'm sure. But I'm a big Baywatch fan. But he just think just recently, right? Think of all the projects he's got out now, pretty much within the same time span. My Big Fat Greek Wedding Two, mm-hmm. Agent Carter, which just ended, Galvant, which just ended, Ride Along Two, which is still in theaters, uh, Supernatural. These yeah. are all just like within like within a few no time spans with each other i mean that's great for him and i mean look at that list because he goes from film to television like any other day he can just flip flop and i mean there are some composers that stick just to film some just to tv but he's the one that can go in between back and forth and you know not a day goes by and he doesn't blink does not blink he was named in 2002 best new composer by cinemusic.net good for him good for him um i really I think uh, this guy doesn't get enough credit, and he is a friend of the show, so I want to give him a yeah, give him a meaningful shout out. I mean, but like Agent Carter and Supernatural, those are very dramatic, for the most part, drama-filled, you know, type of television. And then you have the movies that he's done are very comedies, and they are completely different themes. So, yeah, but the, you know, and, and the way the way he approaches movies is very much. W- from the character's perspective, right? So Horrible Bosses 2, it was very much like, okay, the, these guys are putzes. We know this. But in their minds, they're not. And so the music has to reflect their mentality. Are they? <laughs> in their minds? In their minds, they were the greatest people in the world. Well, in this, you know, uh, Michelle Darnell, she's unapologetic. and so She's the greatest person in the world. <laughs> but it was still funny to me that she's the 43rd richest woman in the world. It's, I really? love that. That's so weird. I love that. That um, kind of reminded me of just, you know, motivational speakers. Um, I did love that opening. Can we talk about that opening scene, though, that all I do is win? Fantastic. And you know me, Phil. I, like, I love musicals, and I love opening and anything with dancing and a musical performance element to it. I'm all for it. And to see someone as, as top of her game in her career to do something as cool and flashy as that type of dance number. I was like, all right, yeah, I kind of love this movie. Just some the, money went into that. Yeah, just for some the first five minutes. I was like, all right, you got me. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, the fire marshal almost shut them down. <laughs> get a new fire marshal. I like that. <laughs> I know. That's great. You can't just buy it. You technically could. They're government appointed, apparently. Yeah, we, we can work around that. All right, let's talk about the, the reception of this movie. Um, overall, you know, not bad. I mean, projections were uh, between uh, 25 to 30 million. And it came... They, they, they hit it. They came, you know, opening weekend, it got 23.5 million. Yeah, and it was number one. 
It was number one. It was number one. It beat out Superman, which doesn't bode well for Batman versus Superman. I know. And you think that, as big as a film that was, that'd be, you know, ranked number one for like at least three weeks. And no, it got booted in the second week of theirs. That should have been number one until like Jungle Book or or, um, uh, Civil War. Yeah, and and for that, I will applaud Melissa McCarthy for just the power that she has of getting people's in the in the seats for a comedy, which is completely probably a completely different graphic you know, demographic for people watching this film than to the Batman v Superman. Superman. And that, that's about as good as it gets. Yeah, because it got a nineteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes with a fifty percent. For the audience score, with a C plus on Cinema Score. Do you agree with those? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's, I, I think, I, here's the thing: Do I agree with the nineteen? I, I yeah. would probably give it like a thirty-eight. Okay, no. that, that I would give it maybe a forty-five. <laughs> okay. Because honestly, I went into this with not the biggest expectations, and I walked out. I was like, "Hey, that wasn't the worst movie." But because I, I actually I laughed a lot, it takes. You know, like I, I did. There were some moments where I was actually laughing. So I think it was like 19's a little harsh. There, there's a decent article, and I forget the exact source um, right now. Which, by the way, you can download our rundowns in, in the description. There's a link that you can download all of our rundowns, so you can kind of see other facts and, and 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 things that we have in front of us while we talk about the movie. But you know, th- there there was a good article that I read about this is a good comedy. It's not great, but it's not horrible. And how that can actually be more of a hindrance than if it was just a bad comedy. And so I'm not going to even try to paraphrase because this was like a dissert. This this might as well might have been written by like a Harvard professor. It was that like (laughs) deep uh, as a dissertation. But I thought it was an interesting perspective about it. And I agree with him. It was a good movie. It wasn't a great movie, but it wasn't a terrible movie. And I think that might, I don't know. But you can read, read his thing to, to see where he goes with it. Yeah, I completely agree with that, though, because the character, yeah, she was very unlikable at the beginning. You knew she was going to have some character growth and realize her actions and have some heart. And she got her family in the end. So she was human. She's not perfect. So we did get that arc from her. And even with, you know, it, it, with Claire, we got a little bit of character growth from her, too. She she was actually, for the most part, very consistent throughout. So she didn't have a lot of room to grow, maybe in a career. Yeah. But she quit her job. She yeah. got a new career. She has a boyfriend. Yeah. So. So even she had a little bit of character growth. Um, but I like the fact that you have your main protagonist, more so, your main character was dislikable to likable in the end. And you know what? The, the ultimate message... You can have family and money. Now, whether you agree with that or not, that's the message of the movie. It can happen, you guys. It can happen. So uh, so there you have it. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Um, I might watch this film again. Maybe not in theaters, but if it came out on DVD, I would probably watch it again. Because in the end, it was fairly lighthearted. It's not a dark movie. It's a movie to have fun. Um <laughs> Fun indeed fun indeed well there you have it let us know your guys thoughts in the comment section below uh we we appreciate you guys always talking about and about the movies and whether you've caught it just now or you know six months from now 
that's the beauty of movies. They're timeless, um, and we like talking about them. So thank you guys for joining us. Uh, as mentioned, if you're new, if you're returning, either way, you found us, and, and the fact that you've listened to us uh, really does mean a lot. So thank you, and uh, just go that final extra route and put your comment in there. Let us know what you thought because, you know, we had a great dialogue, but ultimately it's about creating a whole conversation. We're on the internet for a reason, mm-hmm. so we can have that conversation. Thank you very much, and we'll be doing many, many other movies in the coming future. We've got Hardcore Henry coming up very soon for you. We've got The Jungle Book. We've got Barbershop. As mentioned, we've got Civil War. All the Uh, Disney movies. (laughs) uh, Peter Dinklage. I don't know if he's in the new uh, X-Men movie, but that's coming out. Should be. (laughs) So there's a lot of great movies. And guess what? We've done over 250 individual movies in the past, right? We talked about Horrible Bosses 2 a bunch of times. That's in our archive, so check that out. We talked about St. Vincent and Veronica Mars, and like we've we've covered Melissa and Kristen's movies we, too. Yeah, we've done spot. Uh, we've we've done Identity Thief. Yeah. I so think. check that out. So uh, you know we've we've done a lot of things. So thank you guys as always. Check out the Popcorn Talk on Twitter, Instagram. We've got a bunch of other movies. Mark Donica, who is our engineer today, he does Jedi Alliance. So if you love Star Wars, that's the show to see. And uh, plenty of others. We have quite the roster for whatever your interest in, whatever your interest is. And uh, movie, Anatomy of Movie Specifics, just go to Movie Anatomy on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, Serafini TV. That's right. Uh, and that's about it. And check out Containment this Tuesday, April 19th, only on The CW. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff, we would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.